Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So, so excited to be up here tonight. I can't tell you how excited I am to uh, share this story. I'm just going to tell you a story tonight is essentially what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Um, but I do want to tell you something, a little bit of a challenge I had recently in my life, and this was yesterday. <clears throat> we decided it was a good idea to go run a 5K, Terry and I did. So, and uh, at the 5K, which is it's a little over three miles, um, I learned two Greek words, and I wanted to share those with you um, just as a little side thing. So the first Greek word that I learned was tetelestai. Everybody say that. Say tetelestai. To tell us die. And so I met this guy, and he, uh, he has a, a gym, like a, it's a CrossFit facility, a gym facility that he owns. And um, he gave me his business card. And on his business card, it said, To tell us die. Under the name of the gym, it said, To tell us die. And I'm looking at this card, and I said, What is that word? And he said, It's the last words of Jesus. It's the Greek translation of Jesus' last words it is finished. Right? And I just felt so ignorant, frankly, because here I am, I'm, I'm a licensed minister, I'm studying to become an ordained minister, and I have no idea what this word is. I had never seen it before. I was not familiar with it in the slightest. And then he goes on to tell me that it, there's historical evidence to support the fact that the phrase tetelestai was actually used in documentation, tax collectors, and things like that, when they would mark an account paid in full. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could pray and dismiss right there. And you'd better go out of here, you better go out of here and, you know, charged with that, because that is powerful. I did a little bit of research. I was like, is this really true? And it turns out that some, some historians believe they may have used it in reference to prisoner sentences as well. Once the prisoner's sentence was pardoned or taken care of, they would stamp something or they would mark that prisoner as tetelestai because their account had been paid in full, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, that's church. Church is done. We can go right there, right? Evermore I will love you and serve you and glorify your name. I mean, what a great song. And then we learn that, that phrase, tetelestai. So say tetelestai one more time. All right? And then the other phrase, the other Greek word that I learned is supermom. Everybody say supermom, as in my wife is a supermom. Okay, let me tell you why. Because not only did she run a 5K, she pushed Anna in a stroller the entire way. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. And now listen, I know that Anna, she may look small, but she is stout, right? Those are two qualities she got from her dad. Look small, but actually, in fact, pretty stout, right? And so Anna, I mean, it, listen, it was a, enough of a challenge. So the second Greek word uh, that I learned yesterday was supermom. So uh, tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a story in the Bible that you've heard many, many times. I want to come at it from a little different angle, right? And then I'm going to tell you a story that you've never heard. All right, that's what I'm going to do tonight, and we'll get out of here. All right, so we're going to, uh, we're going to go to the Scripture, and you don't have to stand. We've been standing a lot, so I'm just going to go right to the Scripture, and I want you to check this out. This is in John chapter 1, right? And you're familiar with this. John the Baptist has been around at this point in John chapter 1, okay? And um, at this point, uh, one of the two which heard John, John the Baptist, speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, verse 41. And he first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And you know who Simon is. Simon is actually Simon Peter, right? 
And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is interpretation. Everybody say it with me. A stone. You're familiar with this, right? If you've been in church like twice, you may have heard it. Um, In fact, I think Pastor had a message from this very text not too long ago. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you more of the story, or I want to give you a different part of the picture, right? And really my goal is to, is to activate you tonight. My goal is to activate you, to maybe activate a part of your brain that if it's been activated before, maybe it's gone to sleep, or maybe it's been, never been activated before. And that's my goal uh, here tonight. See, there's two characters in this story that we always talk about. But there's a third character in this story in these three verses. Eh, he doesn't get much of a mention. And that's what I want to focus on tonight. In order to better understand that or better explain that, I'm going to tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about something that happened uh, not too long ago. So on July 1st, back this past July 1st, it was first responder service, if you remember this, right? And I had the opportunity, pastor gave me the privilege to speak that day which was awesome. It was an awesome opportunity. Um, I think there were 460 people here, and that was, that's the largest crowd, largest crowd that I've ever been able to preach to. Um, it's truly an honor, a privilege, and I thank you for, for entrusting me with that. And um, so at the end of the service, it was about 12, 1210, 1212, 12.15 at that point. We're getting to the end. As usual, I had run long, um, a little long-winded, and I elaborate on a lot of things, of course, and so I had run a little bit longer than maybe I had planned to. When it got time for the altar call, I didn't really know what to do. And what I mean by that is, um, I'm gonna share with you, I want you to know that as preachers, as people who get up here, we can put a huge amount of pressure on ourselves about what happens between 11.45 and 12 o'clock, the altar call. Because unfortunately, what we've done is we've, we've made that the measure of our success, right? We look at that, and we, in, in, in preacher circles, right, even in church circles, right, you measure the success of a service by what happens in those last 10 minutes, unfortunately, you know, not unfortunately, but sometimes we do that to ourselves. And so here we are at 12, 10, 12, 15. I'm kind of clock watching. When I, when, I, when I wrote the message, I didn't really have a plan for an altar call, and frankly, I'm not very good at them. If you've heard me preach now a couple of times, you probably realize that I, I'm not really good. When I say good, I just, I never really know what to do, and I always feel really uncomfortable and about this, you know, pastor's so smooth, and he's so good at it, and stuff like that. And so here we are at 10, 12, 10, 12, 15, and what I did was I kind of did the classic thing, you know, if anybody here doesn't know Jesus, you know, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to bring you down here. I'm not going to call your name or anything like that. And back over there, behind that column over there, there was one lonely hand that went up. Well, before you know it, I had dismissed, and that was kind of it, right? I didn't really get anybody down here. I didn't really, you know what I'm saying, whatever. So sure enough, I run out to the parking lot, and I, I chased this woman down, and I spoke to her, and I said, hey, I said, uh, you know, I, I know you raised your hand. She said, yeah. And I said, I'd really love to have another conversation with you about your faith. And she said, yeah. I think she had a kid with her, so she was kind of, you know, it was just one of those things out in the parking lot, you know, it's not the same. The spirit isn't, it doesn't, doesn't feel the same, you know, and so I feel like this moment is kind of lost, and she gets in her car, and she drives away. So a day or two later, one of my coworkers who actually had been here at the service, she said something really interesting to me. She said, does the Church of God not have invitations? 
Now, by the way, if you're, not, if, uh, if you're a Baptist in the house, you know invitation is the Baptist term for an altar call. And she said, does, does the Church of God not have invitations? So you can imagine, I was already kind of feeling self-conscious or feeling uncomfortable about how I had handled that situation. And then she says this to me, and I was like, ah. You know, and she, she and I had that conversation. Well, you never know. Somebody could get into a car, and they could get, you know, get into a car accident, die, and you just you missed an opportunity kind of a thing. And I'm like, yeah. Right? And I just have this defeated kind of a mentality, right? And so, as most of you know, we left North Wahala after July 1st. Um, our, our internship had finished. Um, we had already scheduled about two months' worth of church visits, so we just went out into um, all over the Southeast and visited a bunch of churches. But every three days or so, I would look at Terry and be like, man, I got to find Misty. I, I got I to gotta call somebody at Northwell. I, I don't even remember. She knows somebody over there. I think it was Tiffany. I'm not really, you know, and I would do this. And then three days would go by and life and busy and kids and work and all this. And I'm like, Terry, I got to find, man, I got to find Misty. You know, I think about it. I think about it. You know, and it just went on and on and on. You know, this went on for, for two months. And of course, it just kind of grew over, you know, I'm like, I'm going to get the phone call one day that she, you know, something horrible has happened. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live the rest of my life knowing that I've failed, you know what I'm saying, in the kingdom. And so we come back to North Wahala, you know, back in September. I guess it's the second, second week in September. We come back to North Wahala. And we get done with the first service. And I run out to the parking lot. And I find Tiffany. And I'm like, Tiffany, okay, I got to talk to you. I think you know Misty. Yeah, I did. She's like, okay, I need, to, I need to talk to you. I need to find her. What's her phone number or something? And she said, well, I think somebody else knows her better than I do. Go talk to her, blah, blah, blah. Right? That's on a Sunday. Tuesday morning, I'm in a meeting, um, uh, helping with this, this thing that I get a chance to help with, and in the door walks Misty to this meeting. I've been going to this meeting for six, eight years, and she's never come to any of the meetings. And she walks in, yeah, exactly. What you're thinking and feeling was exactly what I was thinking and feeling. I'm like, I mean, really, the first thing I thought, but God. Amen. Right? She walks into this meeting, and I'm like, okay, all right. This is my second chance, right? I'm not going to miss this. So now I'm completely distracted during the meeting. I'm not even thinking about what the meeting is about. I don't really care what the meeting is about because now I'm like recharged, and I'm like, all right. You know what I'm saying? Like God's given me a second chance. I failed at my first chance. She's given me a second chance, right? And so, um, so sure enough, after the meeting, and I, I was at work. It was during my work day, so I had a gun and a badge on, uh, and so... I, I, I said something misty after the meeting, and she had, she had recognized me or figured out who I was there that I, I, I had preached that day or whatever. And I said, can I talk to you outside for a second? She's like, what did I do wrong? And I said, no, 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 it's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. And so we, we step out into the hallway, and um, if I had the time, I would elaborate more on this story, and maybe if you want to hear it after church, we'll, we'll spend a few extra minutes, and I'll tell you the story. But the things that worked out perfectly um, that um, there, was a, there was a child that was there that was kind of in the middle of all of this, and, and there was another woman who came along. She realized that I wanted to talk to Misty about this thing, and so she kind of took the child away as, as, a, as a distraction. One of Misty's friends was actually at the meeting as well, and so I was able to get her to come in on this conversation. And 30 minutes later, everyone's crying. She has committed her life to Jesus, and it was like a huge, 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 huge moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, praise the Lord. <clears throat> And praise the Lord that Misty was able to be here tonight to hear the story, because I didn't know that she was actually going to be able to be here tonight to hear that story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Misty's over here, and I didn't even know. I didn't even know she was coming. <clears throat> but here's the deal. What Misty doesn't know is the story gets even better. 
right? I mean, I walk out of that meeting and I'm like, I mean, I, I mean, I call, I, I don't know what I texted or called Terry and I was just, I mean, it was just one of those things like, you know, for this feeling of like just defeat and I had really dropped the ball and, you know, kingdom things, you know, I'm just like, man, you know, so it's just this, just awesome when God gives you, you know, this other opportunity. I mean, perfect, things just worked out so perfectly. Like I said, I can continue on and tell more of that story. Well, um, four or five days later, I get a phone call from a guy who works at the sheriff's office. And uh, I said, hey, what's going on? And we work on a lot of cases together. He'll call me. I'll, we'll swap info, share information, stuff like that. And he was here that day. And he and I spoke about his faith a couple of weeks after. He was born and raised in church. Um, he goes to a, a small Baptist church in, in Wahala. And he, we, we had discussed some faith afterwards. And he, you know, he had said, you know, I really liked your message that day. It just really resounded with me, stuff like that. And that was, that was about it. He calls me about four or five days after this meet, the meeting with Misty. We'll call it the meeting with Misty. About four or five days later, he calls me. <clears throat> I said, hey, what's going on? He said, um, I don't think I'm going to be able to get through this conversation without crying. You have to understand, this is a guy that I know well, but I know him well professionally, right? I don't know him well personally. He said, I don't think I'm going to be able to get through this conversation without crying. And I said, okay, go ahead. And he said, I got saved last night. And I'm like, and I, and I said, okay, do tell. What's the story? Well, I'd venture to guess there might be some of you that can empathize with, this, with his testimony, but his testimony is this. He was born and raised in church. He thought that he was saved. And he went to church that, that Sunday night, which was three or four days after the Misty meeting. Um, he went to church that Sunday night, and the message was just right. It was just on point. And after church, the pastor looked at him and said, you know, what's going on? Because sometimes you kind of get that feeling when you, when you meet a congregant after a message, they're giving you the look, and the look is like, okay, what's up? And, uh, and he said, Pastor, I don't think I've ever been saved. And of course, the pastor's like, well, you know, let's, let's do this. I mean, what's, you know, whatever. So he, you know, so sure enough, so he committed his life to Jesus that night, and I was just, just blown away. And he said, he said, it, he said um, the whole time, he said, my whole life, I've always been focused on my reputation instead of being focused on my character which was the little one-liner thing that I had kind of come up with for that message that I preached on July 1st. And it was just crazy to see the kingdom growing one person at a time, right? And, and, I, and I want to make sure that I, I'm very clear. It's the music. It's the greeters. It's the golf cart driver. It's the fellowship time if we, if we get a chance to do it. It's the people, it's you moving over in your seat to let somebody sit down instead of looking at them like, why are you in my seat? Right? right? You know? It's all of that that happened on July 1st. Sure, I am, I am super excited and I am so privileged to be able to deliver a message that day. But it is a combination of all of that con that contributes to just the right atmosphere. And we do not know, and if you were in Terry's class this morning for Sunday school, just remember, we do not know on this side of eternity what, 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 what will be the rewards, the weight on the other side of eternity, right? What we have in the seen, we don't even know the weight in the unseen. We don't know the weight of it in the unseen. Well, Barry calls me the next day, and he, I'm, I'm, headed, I'm driving home from work, and he calls me the next day, and he says, Mike, I don't think I'll be able to get through this conversation without crying. I'm like, well, go ahead. Let's do this again. What's going on? Did you get saved last night, too? And, no, I'm just kidding. And he said, um, he said, I got a call from a friend who said some guy was hanging out on his front porch, didn't know what was going on, but he said my friend couldn't get home, so he called me and said, hey, is there any way you could go by the house? So he goes by the house, and sure enough, there's a guy sitting on his front porch. He had run out of gas, or his car had broken down, some, some car trouble. 
And he gets out and he starts talking. He says, well, let's go check on your car. And he tries to get him his car started. He can't get it started. He said, uh, where do you need a ride to? I just need a ride home. So he's driving down the road, asks him about his faith. And the guy said, you know, yeah. And, and he just started to testify. He just started to give, uh, Barry started to give him his testimony just about how Jesus loves him and what he had, whatever. And, and the guy said, uh, he said, I've just been a hypocrite in my faith my whole life. <laughs> and Barry said, let me tell you about the biggest hypocrite I know, and it's me. He goes on to share his testimony, stops traffic in the middle of Highway 11, leads him to the Lord right there in the car, and traffic is stopped. I don't even know that guy's name. I mean, the, the, this other person, I don't even know who, who he is or what his name is. But do you, I mean, listen, you know, we come to church and we send kids to camp and we've got vacation Bible school and we get revivals and stuff like that. And I think sometimes what happens is we hear, well, eight people got saved. You know, well, it's 10 people got baptized. That's all. Six kids dedicated their life to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Ghost. But I'm telling you, I've had a front row seat for, for like six days. It was a Tuesday through like a two, Monday. It was like six days I had a front row seat to watch the kingdom grow by three names. Three people, three stories, right? And I, I can't, like I, I can't, it's, like, it's almost like I can't say it enough. I know I'm just not an emotional type of a preacher, you know what I'm saying? I get up here, a very you know, specific thing that I'm trying to express to you. I just can't express it enough how you have got to be activated. You've got to be activated. And, and that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do for the, next, for the rest of my time I've got, is I want to try to get you a little bit of activation. And I want to give you a three-step process. Three words, right, to try to activate you a little bit. And it's relate, inform, activate. Relate, inform, Activate. See, and what this is, is what, <clears throat> you're actually pretty familiar with this process. You're actually familiar. If you've ever walked into the mall or walked into a Sam's Club and somebody's trying to sell you direct TV, you're familiar with this. Because right? the first thing they do is they catch you before you get anywhere further into your shopping and they ask you about what kind of TV service do you have at home? And what are they doing? They're trying to relate to you. They're trying to get your attention. They're trying to relate to you. And that's the first thing they do is they're like, what kind of TV service do you have at home? Are you really happy with it? How much are you paying? And they start doing all these things and what they're trying to do is they're trying to relate to you. And they say, well, let me just tell you about this. For $19.99 a month for the next two years, you can get this and you can get 138 channels, 137 of which you won't watch because you only ever, we all watch the same four channels anyway, right? And they go through and they kind of inform you about this. And they say, so you got to act today. Act now and this will be yours. So they activate you. Right? Um, if you've ever, listen, if you've ever seen a commercial for the ASPCA, that's the animal people. That's the people that, you know, are trying to get you to save all the animals in the world. Those are the worst commercials, are they not? Right? Here's what you do. You take a tiny animal, you put it in the corner of a cage, right? You make sure it's shivering. Then you put it in slow motion, and then you put it to the saddest song you can possibly find. Are you kidding me? I'm like, yes, take my money, of course. Because you feel so cold-hearted if you don't activate, right? It's like, are you kidding me? Of course I should activate on that. Um, or like... Uh, 
I couldn't, I couldn't believe this when I looked this up, but for 10 years now, Allstate has been doing a commercial campaign called Mayhem. You may have seen this guy. This is the guy that always does these crazy things and says, get Allstate and be better protected from mayhem like me. Well, essentially what they're doing is they're relating to you because they show some off-the-wall scenario that probably could happen, right? And then they inform you that um, if you have some of these other cut-rate car insurance or cut-rate insurance policies, right, then you may not be covered. And so then they try to activate you to say, get better protected, right, from mayhem like me. What you don't realize, actually, is that relate, inform, activate this three-step process, you actually experience it every time you come into church. Because that's exactly what pastor does, right? That's what most preachers are trying to do, right? Because he talks about Jessica and he talks about the boys in different ways, right? He relates to you that way. And then he informs you, right, about something that Paul wrote or something that Jesus did or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And then by the end, it activates. Like I said, you're very familiar with this process. But here's what's crazy, right? We didn't invent it. Pastor didn't invent it, right? Allstate didn't invent it. The ASPCA and Sarah McLaughlin, McLaughlin didn't invent it. In fact, let's go back to John chapter one. This is really gonna blow your mind. Watch what happens in John chapter one, verse 40, verse 41, and verse 42. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. What did we just discover? They're related, right? He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him. What did he do second? He informed him. And saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Verse 42, and he what? Brought him to Jesus. Listen, do you know what we did on July 1st? All we did was we took an opportunity to relate to someone and inform them and allow them to be activated. And as the result, we, 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 we literally know the three, well, I don't know the third guy, but we literally know three names that were written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right? And all we have to do is relate a little bit, inform a little bit, and then activate a little bit. So let me ask you this. Does anybody know the name Mordecai Ham? Does anybody know the name Mordecai Ham? If you're familiar with that name, it's because he was the evangelist who was preaching one day. Billy Graham went to uh, hear him speak and as a result, committed his life to Jesus. And some of you are nodding along. You may have heard that name. You know, I, you, know you may have seen it in like a documentary or a book or even maybe, you know, with his recent passing this year, you know, that name may have come up in some of the memoirs and things like that. It's Mordecai Ham right? Um, but another, a name that you may not know is Albert McMacken. Because Albert McMacken <clears throat> was a farmhand who worked on the Graham family farm. And one day, he heard about Mordecai Ham's evangelism, uh, revival going on, and he said, hey, to Billy Graham, and said, why don't you come with me and listen to this guy? Do you see who Albert McMacken is in the story? Who is Albert McMacken in the story? He's Andrew. And that's really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to activate you a little bit. There's a giant ant on my arm. You cannot make that up. I don't know. Is that weird? Is that like a curse? Is that like a weird church curse thing? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Is that bad? Is that black if a black cat runs across the front of this stage, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll pray and dismiss or something. But anyway, and so um, what's, what's Albert McMacken 
You know, he's the one who said, hey, let's go hear this guy speak. What's interesting, by the way, is, is just go back to verse 40. Go back to verse 40, please. <clears throat> who is Andrew identified as in this story? Simon Peter's brother. Isn't that really fascinating? In fact, I tried to find, and I couldn't find any of the references to Andrew in the Bible where he is not referred to as Simon Peter's brother. So his identity, his identity in the scriptures is based on what? All of his success, all of his fame, all of his notoriety, all of his positions, all of his titles, all of his Instagram and all of his Facebook followers, right? All of his money, all of his bank account information. Is that what his identity in, the, in, in, in history is based upon? No, it's not. See, and that's the thing. The world and society says that your identity, your role, your value in this world, it's based on your title, it's based on your position, it's based on your 401k, it's based on your followers, it's based on your BMW, it's based on your title, it's based on CEO after your name, it's based on, right? That's what the world tells us, is the value of your identity. But in the kingdom, right? It's actually, the, it's actually based on the names of others. Your value is not based necessarily on your name, it's actually the names of others, whom you've served, right? Whom you've lifted up, whom you have loved, right? That's actually what the kingdom tells us. That's why Andrew's name is recorded in history. In fact, if you think about it, Andrew's name is recorded because of Peter. But Peter's name actually isn't necessarily recorded just because Jesus looked at him and said, upon this rock I will build my church. Because what did Peter do in Acts chapter 2? What did he do? 3,000 souls were added unto them on the day that he preached. Right? In fact, when we look at Peter as being a champion of the faith, that's one of the things that we always refer to. Right? We give him a hard time about cutting off somebody's ear, and we give him a hard time about denying this and all of that. But really, when we celebrate him as a champion of the faith, what do we talk about? The 3,000 names that were added unto them that day. Do you see what I'm saying about, you see what I'm saying about your name, right? About your name and your place in the kingdom will actually come down to the names of others, which is huge. That's exactly what Jesus' teachings are all about. That's the idea about whoever is first will be last, whoever is last will be first. That's exactly what he was saying. It is not about getting your name at the top of the list, right? I mean, we know the stories of the disciples, you know what I'm saying? They would just clamor for Jesus' attention to ask him, can I be at your left and can we be at your right and can we, who's the best and who's the greatest and which one has done the most and which one is going to be most blessed and how long is this one going to live and how long is that one going to live? In fact, it's really funny, by the way, if you read the account in John of the morning, Easter morning, if you read the account of John, do you know what John tells you three times that he was the first one to the grave? The greatest event in the history of the world, and what is John telling us? That he's the fastest in a foot race. Right? And what's also interesting is that we also see, and he talks about how, how he beat the other disciples there, but then later, John actually tells us there's a story that there's other disciples asking about John, and they're competing about who's going to get the most and who's going to be the most blessed and stuff like that, and Jesus says, what are you worried about that for? What are you worried about that for? Right? So if you operate under, with a kingdom mindset, you're going to go out there looking for names, people, 
one of the 107 billion people that have ever lived. That's why the title of my message is 107 billion. See, Jesus died on the cross for the 107 billion people that have ever lived and however many more people that will ever live. And we have an opportunity to have our names attached to one or two or three of those names, right? And here's the deal. I'm not gonna, like, this is the point where, this is the part where some, some people would try to manipulate and just say, guess what? You can win the next Billy Graham to Jesus, right? And they say, guess what? You can lead the next Peter to Jesus. But guess what? Misty, she's just as important as Peter or Billy Graham and Barry, just as important, and the mystery guy that Barry stopped traffic leading him to Jesus. And don't get me wrong, I know that Peter's going to have rewards in heaven. He did, did, did amazing things for the faith, and I'm not trying to, you know, put down one of our champions, but I'm telling you, right? 107 billion names, and we have opportunities all the time, every day, to relate to them, inform, and then activate them, right? Um, so what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm trying to kind of establish or, or help um, lay like the groundwork or uh, the foundation uh, for uh, this process um, that I want you to kind of adopt. And this isn't going to be the last time you'll hear me talk about it. And what I mean by that is I want it to permeate our church. I'm one of you now, right? I'm part of the family. I'm part of the North Wahala family. And I want this to permeate our culture, Right? The, the, the days or the idea that I come here and I've got my one spot and it's here in this pew and this is where I sit and this is where I've always sat and maybe, you know, pastor will win somebody to Jesus today and I'll celebrate with him if he does. I think we can, I think we can go to the next step. I think we can go to the next step, right? I think we can just bump it up just a little bit, can't we? Can't we just go a little bit more? Can't we just go a little bit more? Because if you think about the, the three words that I gave you, relate, Relate can be the easiest one, or it can also be the hard one. Let's talk about relate for just a second. Relate can kind of be the easy one, or it can be the hard one. For Andrew, it was easy, right? He had spent his entire life relating to Peter. They were related. They were brothers. So that was easy enough. So let me just say to you, for the, the people you see at work every day, Right? When you go to work, if you work around other people, if you have a traditional, what I call a traditional job where you go to work in the morning and you abound around a bunch of people and you come home in the, in the evening, guess what? You've already related to them. You've been related to them. You've had lunch with them. You've rode in the truck with them. You've sat around the, the water cooler with them or the break room with them or whatever. So you've already related to them. So guess what? That part's done. That's the good news, right? Now, sometimes we don't necessarily know somebody. We feel a little challenged, and it's a little bit more difficult, right? And we're like, oh, I'm not really sure how I can relate to this person. I'm not really sure. I don't really know them, or I don't really you know, know how to relate to them, right? And I'm going to give you a, a tip on that in just a second. Um, sometimes you're afraid that that person knows you too well that you can testify to them. And I experienced this with who I consider, besides my wife and Jesus, my best friend, and his name is Gray. Gray and I have known each other since 10th grade, right? And when Gray and I became friends, 
I was living the Christian life that I should. And throughout the friendship that I've had with Gray, he's seen me go from living the Christian life that I should, to not living the life that I should, to living the life that I should. I've gotten drunk with Gray multiple times. And um, he's seen Mike, he's seen the uh, Mike doesn't cuss to the Mike does cuss to the, the Mike that doesn't cuss. And I had a conversation with, with Gray one time, and I don't think Gray's ever committed his life to Jesus. Um, you know, accepted Jesus as a savior. He's, he's been churched kind of a little bit here and there. But I had a conversation with Gray one day, and he said, I said, you know what's one of the things I look back on? I feel like I've been one of the worst examples of a Christian to you. Like here I am, put in a perfect opportunity, right, to be this shining light for him. And I spend several years just blowing it, right? He kind of scoffed at that. He said, are you kidding me? He said, you've been the best demonstration of what a Christian could be. And I'm like, whoa. And it kind of rocked my world. And I share that with you because I want you to know you are speaking to the people around you all the time, right? You are constantly speaking to them in some way, in somehow, whatever. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna, if, you're, if you go to work or school or whatever tomorrow and you tell somebody, yeah, I was at church last night, you just spoke to them. You may not say something in particular or something real intentional, but you just spoke to them by saying that. Right? You just got to relate to somebody in some way. And so sometimes we get, you get the idea, I don't even know how to relate. So you're standing in the grocery store, and if you're like 40 years old, you're standing in the grocery store, and you got like a 19-year-old clerk across you know, the counter from you, they're ringing up your, your groceries, and you're, you're feeling like, you know, kind of like, okay, the Holy Spirit, you know, I really need to speak to this person. You're like, I don't even know how to relate to this person. Right? And how many of you have been to that point and you talk yourselves off out of it, right? I feel like I should say something to this person and then you don't, right? Your server comes up to you at the restaurant and they're just, you can just tell they're having a rough night, right? And the Holy Spirit just, just elbows you and nudges you to the side and says, you know, say something. And you just, you back off of it. Because you're like, I don't even know how to relate to this person. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. So I just want to give you one question that I have used Time and time and time again, it is so effective in relating to someone that you just don't know any other way to relate to. And you say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? Okay? So for those of you that you're like, I really don't know what to say to somebody. I would love to be more activated. I just don't know what to say. That is a great place to start. And the reason I said that is because um, the last 50 people that went through the grocery store line or the last 50 customers that that server had, guess what? Right? They were all asking for something from that person, right? Hurry up, you're too slow, this and this, my water is this, my drink hasn't been filled, blah, 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 blah. Which, by the way, as a side note, you don't want to be that person, do you? You don't want to be the latter. Right? So when you look at that server and you say, if they bring you your food and they say, is there anything else I can get you? You say, actually, we're about to pray over our food. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And I'm telling you, you will see their brain come to a screeching halt because they're expecting you to say ketchup, more drink, whatever. And you say that, and I'm telling you, their brain just, those gears just come to a screeching halt. They're like, what? Right? I've done this many times on a Sunday morning on the way to church. Go to Dollar General to pick up a granola bar for Ethan or something like that. And I'm, about to, I'm going through line. Hey, I'm headed to church. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And they just look at you like, you're the first customer that's ever asked me that. I'm telling you, you've got to give it a shot. 
So then the second part of this is inform. So once you've related to them, you just got to inform them about something. Now, this can be easy or this can be difficult. It's easy if you're Neil Nolan and you've memorized half of the New Testament, right? Because when you're informing someone about the gospel, right, he's got like all of 1 Corinthians and most of 2 Corinthians memorized. So he's like, which chapter do you want to hear? And he just starts going, right? But I didn't even know the word to tell us die until yesterday. So obviously, you know, so that's tough. And what happens is, is you're in that moment and you've gotten past the relate thing, you know what I'm saying? And you want to say something to the person and you're like, Jesus said, I came to kill, steal, and just, no, that's wrong. That's not the right scripture. Um, for none have sinned and come short. No, that's not it either. And you're like, um, Jesus forgot. And you're like, ah, and your brain freezes up. And you're like, ah, I don't know what to say, right? And you want to inform them. Do you know what one of the most effective ways to inform someone, of inf give someone information is? One of the most effective techniques that you can use. And I'll give you a hint. I just did it 30 minutes ago. You tell them a story. You tell them a story. In fact, that's what, half of this book? Half of this book is storytelling. That's what it is. Our brains love storytelling. So when you sit down and you start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, your brain immediately is like, this is awesome. This is a really cool story. I can't believe this really happened. And what's really cool is when you get from the end of one story, like in the Old Testament, when you get finished with Joshua and you go to, you're like, you, you follow the whole story. One of the most effective things is tell somebody a story, all right? Because if we're being honest, all I did was tell you a story tonight about the amazing things that God did in our little community here over the course of six days. And your brain was tuned in the entire time. So all you got to do is tell somebody a story. I'm going to tell you a story. You know, I don't know what you're going through. I'm not going to pretend like I know what you're going through. I want to tell you a story about a man named Jesus and what he did for me. Are you kidding me? That's so simple. That's so simple. Which brings me to the, this last point about activate. Because I want to give you some really good news. It is not your job to save them. I'm serious. And what I want to try to undo is I want to try to undo a little bit of the burden that maybe church has put on some of us over the years. It is not your job to save them. Jesus did that. Right? When he said to Telestai, he told us, it is finished. I've already accomplished it. It is not your job to save them. Right? Your job is to lead the horse to water. Right? Relate to them a little bit. Inform them about a man named Jesus. And in his last breath, what he looked up and cried out. Right? Because you're not alone in this. You're not alone in this. What does Romans chapter 8 tell us? Who does Romans chapter 8 tell us is the agent of change? The Holy Spirit. So I told you I had half the New Testament memorized. Right? There you go. Right? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of change. The Holy Spirit is the agent of transformation. You're not. And to carry that burden is not fair. Right? Terry and I have told many people this uh, when we talk to uh, young couples, uh, premarital counseling, and even after marriage. Right? It is not fair for any man to put on his wife or any wife to put on her husband the expectations that they will be their everything. In fact, if you know someone, especially young love, who says, oh, he's my everything, that's a problem. Because he can't possibly fulfill 
those expectations. He can't possibly fulfill that role, right? And so what I'm telling you is that you can't possibly fulfill the role of the one who accomplishes everything for the kingdom all the time, always, and saving this person. That's not your job. I mean, your, your job is to follow what Andrew did. Say, listen, listen, we have met the Messiah. You got to come and meet him. And then bring them. Tell them. Show them. Right? And let the agent of change, the agent of transformation, activate. So that's the good thing about that third part is that, you know, you're really kind of off the hook a little bit there. You know what I'm saying? You want to help them and you want to usher, you want to, kind of, you know, you want to encourage them. And, and don't get me wrong, we have a sense of urgency, right? There is a sense of urgency. And yes, you may never have crossed, you may never cross paths with that person ever again, or you might randomly on a Tuesday morning meeting, right? So there is a sense of urgency that, you know what I'm saying, we should help activate, but I'm telling you, you know, it, it's, it's not your job. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you one more thing. Um, I didn't give this to Joey because I really got to share this with you. This is later in, in, in John. I don't know if you can get this pulled up real quick, but it's John chapter 1, and it's, it's the, the rest of the verses there in, in chapter 1. It's like 43 through 51. And essentially, see, we love the story of Peter because it's Peter. And we already know everything about Peter and we know what he goes on to accomplish and we know that we can learn so much from denying Jesus three times. We know what we can learn from Peter for the chopping of the ear off thing. You know, we know what we can learn from Peter. And then he goes on Pentecost, 3,000 souls. And we know all these things. But later in, in John chapter one, um, we, we get the story of Philip and Nathaniel. So I'm in verse 44. Now Philip was a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him. Okay, so here we have Philip doing the exact same thing, okay? Doing the exact same thing. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, right? You can hear Philip, he's active. I mean, he's like, yeah, he's excited. I'll say so, verse uh, 46, yeah. And Nathanael saith unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And he immediately pushes back. See, we don't get that necessarily out of Peter. Peter's the one who comes running up to Jesus, and Jesus is like, I'm changing your name today. And he's like, cool, you know. And then like the next day, Peter's like, I'm in, Jesus. I'm following you, right? But Nathaniel pushes back. And this is where I encourage you on that last part about it's not your job to save him. Let's keep going in the story and see what happens. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And essentially guile means that Nathanael is, he's a guy who tells it like it is. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. The words used there for guile, he's essentially saying, so you're a guy who, you tell it like it is. You're, you're just straightforward. You don't, you don't beat around the bush. You're just, you know, Right? Nathaniel saith unto him, well, how, how did you know that? Whence knowest thou me? Right? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Just like that, you could tell Nathaniel what happens. His brain comes to a screeching halt. And look what it says. Man, that's so good. Look what it says right there. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. 
See, because it feels good when we tell the story of Peter, right? Because we know what Peter goes on to. But then we get the story immediately following it. It's almost like Jesus is saying, look, it's not just, it's not just the champions of the faith. It's for the regular guys that, like Nathaniel that were like, you know what I'm saying? What good can come out of Nazareth, right? What good can come out of that Christianity stuff? Yeah, exactly. All right? There's people out there that say that. What good can come of that Christianity stuff? Just a bunch of this and fairy tales this and why would I follow this and why would I, because I got hurt by this hypocrite guy and I, got, I went to this church one time and this person said this and I couldn't believe the pastor called me out for this and I can't believe, ah. listen, I, I can't talk about all those people that you've ever gone to church with, but I can't talk about a man who died on a cross and looked up to heaven and said, to tell us that. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I've got some cards printed. And on one side, Terry designed these. She's real good at this stuff. And on one side, it says North Wahala. It's got service times. It's got our address. And it's got our website. And on the back, it says my contact info with a bunch of blank lines. And here's what I'm asking you to do. As a show of activation. I want you to take one of these cards. Right? I want you to take one of these cards. I want you to find somebody to give it to. You know, clearly my message tonight was intended to activate you to tell people about Jesus. But I don't suspect that you're going to run out tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and just start randomly yelling at people in the grocery store, you must repent and, you know, you know come to know Jesus. Let me tell you about this guy named Jesus. So we're going to warm up to that a little bit. How about we just tell him, get him here? How about we just get him here? Right? Because I know as well as you do, when he's up here preaching, right, he's telling you about a man named Jesus, right? And really what this is, is you're taking ownership of your responsibility. You're taking ownership of your responsibility to tell people about Jesus. And let me say this, if you don't feel moved to tell somebody about Jesus, I'd love to have a chat with you. Maybe it'd be in the parking lot. Maybe it would be on a Tuesday morning meeting. But I'd love to have a chat with you. Because I may need to inform you about what Jesus has done for you. Will you stand? Pastor, would you dismiss us? I'm going I'm to go to the back. And I'll meet you at the back, and we're going to have cards there. And I'd love for you to take one, two, three, four, however many. Like I said, it's as an act of activation as a way of saying, I'm in, Mike, I'm in. Can we give him a hand tonight, amen? <laughs> Remain standing as we close. I told Mike, I said, I want you to be yourself. Him and Terry behind the scenes are working, uh, I can't tell you the hours that they're putting in to make me look good, to make you look good behind the scenes and things that he's saying is to make us look good to, so we can present the gospel. There's something special about this church. It's the people. It's the desire to continue to be steadfast. And we had a need that was la lacking to say the least, to close the back door. And what he's doing and Terry is making sure that that door's closed, that we don't lose anybody in the gospel net. Amen. We don't want to fish with poles. We want to fish with nets. 
Fishing with poles, we may catch a fish, but if we fish with nets, we can bring in a great drought and keep them for the kingdom. I believe the Lord is coming. There are people in our community that are hurting, just like this morning where one rededicated, one soul was saved. There are people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need some more Andrews in the church, amen? Listen, I want you to, to support this couple. They're gonna help you. They're gonna help us to win a lot of people for the kingdom. Pick up some of these cards. Put your name on the back. Don't put my name. Put your name. I don't, I don't want a thousand people calling me. I want them calling you. You need to tell your story. Tell our story. Don't put, don't put um, Jose's name on there. Put your name. Let them, invite them. Bring them to me next Sunday when they come. Bring somebody with you. Who is the Simon Peter in your life? Who's your brother, your sister that needs to be saved? Bring them. Let's see them saved and changed. We have a plan in place now for follow-up. We have procedure now. Certain times, they're going to get a text, a call, a letter, this, this, a visit. All that's in place now. Now we just got to win the harvest. Once we get them plugged, we're gonna take them through a new convert class. He didn't tell you this, but they're starting a new convert class, straight into a membership class, straight into a class that will find out their calling, and then we're gonna plug them right into ministry. That process where we don't lose them, and so we can raise up more ministers for the kingdom. That's what we're trying to do. Turn this city upside down, turn this region upside down. People full of the Holy Ghost, not ashamed to tell somebody that Jesus changed my life, amen, amen. Let's do that. I want to do this in closing tonight. If you feel comfortable, grab the person beside you. I about just fell over this chair. Amen. Amen. I want you to grab the person's hand beside of you. And I want us to pray for that person. Listen, this is what I want to pray. Listen to me as I close. I want you to pray with me that God will put somebody on their mind, in their heart, or their path. One person, not 30. One, we got to get the one first, that Simon Peter. Listen, I want you to hear me. My older saints, don't you quit on us. We need you. We need your wisdom. There's people that only you can reach. We need to reach them for the kingdom. To our teenagers, there's people that you can reach that I cannot reach, but you can. I want you to put that God to put that one person on your mind and then providentially begin to open the door that we might see them saved. How many of you believe that? Amen? Let's do that right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for each other right now. Put that one person, that one person in the path of joy, God. My prayer partner's joy. God, there's somebody on his job, somebody in his family. Oh, Spirit of God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. God, there's somebody, there's somebody somewhere that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for joy right now. I wish you'd pray with me. Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Don't be in a hurry. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, from the children to the teenagers to the college and career, to our oldest saints, God. Give us a souls. Give us souls for the kingdom. God, those that are in high places, those that are in low places, doesn't matter. Those who are bound by sin, God. God, you can change them. You will change them in Jesus' name. You will change them in Jesus' name. Now, God, I'm going to say this boldly. Let us fill our baptism pool now. Let us get ready, God, for those who we're going to baptize as a sign. Let us go and plan our next baptism service, God, knowing that you're about to win many for the kingdom. And we will hear you say, well done, thy good and faithful servants. Now's the time, church. I wish I had about five more people that would pray one more minute. Can I have five more people that would pray right now for souls? Can the North Wahala be 
about the lost. Come on, five, one more minute, Father. Give us souls, marriages that are in trouble, children, God, that are in exile. God, we pray right now for them. Bring them to us. Take us to them. That waitress, that teammate, that colleague, that brother that sits at my table, forgive us for being slothful. Forgive us for being lazy. Forgive us for being so caught up on making sure the steak was just right and we neglected the fact that that waitress was having a bad day and needed Jesus. God, wake us up, church. Wake the church up. Wake the church up to what she is called to be and there is nothing more powerful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen. Before you leave, let's give God the biggest praise for all the souls. Also, while you're standing before you dismissed, I saw JJ come in. JJ, just wave at everybody. JJ, wave. He's very quiet. Uh, he is single. He's a good-looking Christian man. Just throwing that out there. Amen. Amen. Listen to me. JJ, it was his grandfather that passed away on Friday. The funeral was on, at Tuesday. Before you leave, would you go by and just let him know that we, his church, we stand with him. And if there's a need, we want to meet that need. Amen. And we love you, Mom. And the church is here for you, JJ. If you need anything, this is your church family. We love you. All right. Give him another hand. Amen. A lot of great things are in the bulletin. We are working, listen to me, on some singings. Give me some time there into the next year, once a quarter. Also, we're doing a special Christmas singing of our own people. Some, some uh, katada, I should say, that we're working on. Some special things. That will be in the bulletin next week as well. There's a lot of great things planned. Homecoming, our church ministries director of the Church of God will be with us that day. We celebrate 104 years, amen? What a testimony of faithfulness. Anyway, a lot's going on. I love you. Wednesday night, I'm teaching on church problems. We're going to talk about the world's wisdom versus God's wisdom. Do we rely on the world's wisdom or do we settle for God's wisdom? We're going to talk about that Wednesday night and how that affects the church. Hug five people. We'll see you Wednesday. God bless you.